now we'll turn our attention to God's word. Today we're going to be in Revelation chapter 2, verses 8 to 11. Here is what Jesus says. Write to the angel of the church in Smyrna. Thus says the first and the last, the one who was dead and came to life. I know your affliction and poverty, but you are rich. I know the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Don't be afraid of what you're about to suffer. Look, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison to test you, and you will experience affliction for 10 days. Be faithful to the point of death, and I will give you the crown of life. Let anyone who has ears to hear listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers will never be harmed by the second death. I know many of you know this, but there are people who love to work out. I'm not one of those people at this stage in my life. But people, you know, just want to go work out. Some people work out because they want to lose weight. Some people work out because they want to get strength and build muscle. But regardless of the reasons for working out, if a person works out and they get a trainer, what the trainer will do is to have their client do certain exercises and give them weights. They give them weight and continue to stack weight on weight as it progresses because they're trying to develop them. They're trying to develop the person they are training so that they could reach the goal that they are seeking to get, even though it's painful. Lord knows working out sometimes for me can be just flat out painful. But even though it's painful, I know that it's working out for me because I am achieving what I want to achieve. But now let's say that I'm at Planet Fitness and someone instead of seeking to develop me, they take the same weight that I've been training with and they throw these weights at me. They're throwing them at me. That would be a problem because they're not trying to develop me. They are trying to hurt me. One trainer is seeking to develop. One is trying to bring harm. Friends, God allows trials and temptations in our lives to develop us, to strengthen us. But Satan brings trials and temptations in our lives to destroy us, to harm us. And sometimes that could be the same event where God is working in a hard situation, but he's using that event to develop us. But Satan is trying to use that same event to destroy us or to harm us. Today we're going to look at the second church that Jesus sent a message to in Asia Minor. And this church is the church in Smyrna. In reading what Jesus said to this church, this church received no blame. If you remember last week, we talked about the church in Ephesus. And Jesus praised that church, but then Jesus said, of the church in Ephesus, but I have this one thing against you. You have left your first love. Blame. This church, Smyrna, received no blame. 
if there was a problem in this church, this church was experiencing great suffering. But when we look at the church in Smyrna, just like in Ephesus, you would see that Jesus says, I know your works. Here in the text, Jesus says, I know your, your, your persecution. I know what you're going through. And every church after this, Jesus is going to say the same thing. I know your works. In other words, I know what's taking place in the church. So, friends, we are examining the seven churches in Asia. Why? So that we can detect ourselves. So that we can detect ourselves. No matter how large a church is, nor how small, if it is a church, can we look at what's taking place here and in all of these churches and can we detect something about ourselves? So in this series that we've entitled Letters to the Seven Churches, we are doing this, and here is the overarching point of the whole series. We are doing this because the church is at the center of the interest of Jesus Christ. This is vitally important. I was reminded this morning, and I'm grateful for it, that anytime the people of God come together, Jesus is in the midst. If you read these letters, or you started in chapter 1, you would see that Jesus would say, I walk among the lampstands. Lampstand is a church. Jesus is in the midst of his church. All of the singing, the praying, the things that we're doing, we need to understand that Jesus is here. The church is at the center of the interest of Jesus Christ. Uh, the church is at the center of the interest of Jesus Christ. Jesus speaks to these churches at a particular time, at a particular moment, at a particular place in history. These churches existed. They existed. Now, some of these churches, when you read, they were in the process of giving into the idols of the culture. And this is also a danger for the church, for us where we say we worship Jesus, but we are so immersed in the culture and looking like the culture that we cease to look like the church of Jesus Christ. So some of these churches were in danger of giving into the idols of the culture. Some of these churches received no blame. They just received praise from Jesus because of their perseverance. And Jesus wanted to continue them, wanted them to continue looking to Jesus by faith. Now, Smyrna, what is it about this city? It had been one of the most important cities in Asia Minor. I said last week, Smyrna, with these seven churches, if don't think Asia, like China, Japan, Vietnam, these churches, Asia Minor, is in what we now call Turkey. And these churches were on the western side of Turkey. All of these churches, you can, if you look at a map, it's like a circle. You can Google it and just say ancient churches in Revelation, and you will see where these churches were. And Smyrna was an important city there. It was an important center in the Roman Empire for the imperial cult or for emperor worship. In other words, they wanted to worship the, the man in charge. Smyrna was a major hub for that, right? Idolatry was all around them, yet they also had Jews there. But the Jews were exempt from worshiping the emperor. 
Why? Because the Romans knew that Jews were monotheistic. What does that mean? It means they just worshiped one God, right? But Christians also were exempt because Romans saw Christians as a sect of, Jew, uh, of, of Judaism. So Jews and Christians were exempt from worshiping the emperor. However, many, in the, many synagogue leaders, they felt it necessary to distinguish themselves sharply from Christians. They wanted to make them feel unwelcomed in their synagogues, and so they collaborated with the Romans to oppress these Christians. This is what's happening in Smyrna. And so here's the main point of this sermon. As we look at these verses, this is what I want us to know. The believer overcomes not by returning hostility, but by laying down our lives because God will vindicate us. The believer overcomes not by returning hostility, but by laying down our lives because it is God who's going to vindicate us. Now, I know some of us may cringe and even scowl at this thought of why do I have to lay down my life? Why do I have to lay my rights down? Because if you're like me, you grew up, uh, and somebody taught you, if they hit you, you do what? Hit them back. Now, y'all can talk to me. I know it ain't but a few of us in here, but y'all can talk to a brother. If they hit me, then I should what? Tit for tat. Eye for eye. Tooth for tooth. You come at me, I'm coming at you. But this is not the way of Jesus. This is, the, this is not the way of Jesus. Now, the Constitution of the United States may say, and it does say, that I can bear arms. Oh, we live in the South, and you got people that love to carry that heat. And they carry it. I'm talking about, like, I don't mind. Yeah, I got a gun on my hip right now. I don't, y'all. I, I don't have anything on me. But, again, because the Constitution says... I have the right to bear arms, so I'm going to carry my heat. God, guns, and God. Like, you know, you have all these crazy stickers that people have today, but the Bible does not say anything like that. The Bible does not say to me that I could bear my arms, my, my, my guns, or whatever instrument I use to retaliate or whatever, the Bible never says you pick this up. This is what the Bible does say in Deuteronomy chapter 32 verse 25. God says vengeance belongs to me. I will repay. In time their foot will slip for their day of disaster is near and their doom is coming quickly. The Bible, God always says Vengeance is mine. I, I, I got this. I, I don't need you stepping in and fighting for me. I, as a matter of fact, I'm going to fight for you. What are you going to do for me? I got this. Vengeance is mine. I will repay. So the church in Smyrna suffered. However, if I'm honest, and if you're honest, we want to avoid suffering at all costs. Am I right? We want to avoid that because suffering is uncomfortable. I also don't want to suggest that we should be masochists. What is that? Masochist is a person who just loves pain and they run to pain. Uh, 
we should not be that either. It's not about avoiding suffering nor running to things that cause pain, but if suffering should come our way, we should trust in Jesus and stay obedient to God. Why? Because one day he's going to remove all suffering and pain. He's going to remove it. I know sometimes today, and if I'm honest, even when it comes to me, sometimes it feels like how long is this going to keep going on? I'm tired of experiencing the pain that I'm experiencing. I'm tired of looking at suffering. Lord Jesus, when? And if you look at Scripture, you would see the psalmist and even the prophets would say, Lord, how long? But if you read Revelation, this whole book, and don't be scared of it, but you get to the end, we see that one day tears are going to be wiped away. Cancer is not going to bother anyone at one someday. There's not going to be any more killings. There's not going to be any more death. Why? Because Jesus is coming back to make all things new. So as we examine this church, here are the three things that I want us to look at. The first thing I want us to see is this, that Jesus has authority over the church because he alone possesses the attribute of eternity. Jesus has authority over the church because he alone possesses the attribute of eternity. The second thing I want us to see, I want us to notice the church's persecution for having faith in Jesus. And I want us to think about that because here in America, we are not really persecuted for our faith in Jesus. But we want to see what's happening with the church there in Smyrna in verse 10. And then finally, I want us to take notice of this. The earthly defeat of death is heavenly victory and life. Verse 11. So let's, 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 let's see Jesus speak to this church at Smyrna and see if there are some things that we could glean for ourselves. Let's look at the first point that Jesus has authority over the church because he alone possesses the attribute of eternity. Verses 8 and 9. The text says, write to the angel of the church in Smyrna. Thus says the first and the last, the one who was dead and came to life. I know your affliction and poverty, but you are rich. I know the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are synagogues of Satan. As we started walking through these verses, I want us to notice the contrasts that exist in this text. First, Jesus says that he is the first and the last. You see it. You see these contrasts. Jesus says, I'm the first and the last. He also said, it all, the text also says he was dead but came back to life. See the contrast. He sent a message to a church that was impoverished yet rich. Contrast. They were a church being persecuted by those who said they were Jews, but were not. Contrast. And finally, like Jesus, one finds life in death. And so you have a lot of contrasts here in these verses. Jesus, the one who is speaking because he is speaking, he begins by saying of himself that he is the first and the last, the one who was dead and came back to life. Now, in these churches, when we read Jesus give a description of himself, he is actually given a description that's already listed in Revelation chapter 1. And this goes back to Revelation chapter 1 verse 8. You don't have it, but listen to it where Jesus says, I am the Alpha and the Omega. Alpha, first. Omega, last. 
I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, the one who is, who was, and who is to come, the Almighty. See the eternality of Jesus, the one who is, the one who was, and who is to come. He is the beginning and the end, the Alpha and the Omega. He alone has divine sovereignty over history, and he alone possesses the attribute of eternity. Because Jesus rules over history, we as a church should take comfort when we experience hardships. We should take comfort instead of losing hope. We should take comfort because if we're honest, again, I said this, that right now in America, we are not being persecuted for worshiping, but many of us should know that around the globe, there are people who they have to really hide to even worship. And my wife and I experienced this one time when we were in Southeast Asia, where we were in a place worshiping with these believers, and there was such a fear because someone was coming that we had to scatter. There are people right now naming the name of Jesus and worshiping, knowing that if we do this, this could cost me my life. We don't worry about it. We don't. But what would happen if that day came? Because it's a possibility. But no matter what, God's people are not without hope. Just like those in these countries where they can't really worship, they are not without hope. You and I are not without hope either. The church in Smyrna suffered economic hardship. Why? Why did they experience economic hardship? I, I mentioned earlier that at one point, Christians and Jews were seen as one group, but then there became a separation. Jews wanted to make a distinction between themselves and Christians. Now, some of them, some of the Jews could have been irritated that some Jews from within their ranks had left and started trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ. Right? They, they, they could have gotten upset about that, that they were converting to Christianity. Some of them could have even believed that Christianity distorted the Jewish law and offered an easy way of salvation. And it could have been some other things. But because of this, these Jews, they capitalized on an opportunity to complain to the Roman authorities, showing that these Christians will not worship the emperor. They won't worship the emperor, so they wanted to, they wanted to, when you're in elementary school, they wanted to tattletale. They wanted to go tell the authorities so that these Christians could get in trouble because they knew that if they were shown to refuse to worship the emperor, that they could have been seen as politically disloyal, and unpatriotic, and what could be the end result? That they could be arrested by the Romans and thrown into prison that would ultimately lead to their death. This was a real possibility for them. These Jews were called by Jesus a synagogue of Satan. Notice what Jesus refers to them as, a synagogue of Satan. Now, they believe, these Jews believe that they were worshiping the true God, but Jesus says, no, you're not worshiping the true God. You are being used by the great enemy, Satan. He is your head. You're a synagogue of Satan. 
could this be said of us? Again, I, I want to look at these and just ask questions about us as a church. Could we ever, on one hand, think that we worship in Jesus, but we are actually promoting the enemy and his agenda? Could this happen to us? It could if we ever get away from the Lord Jesus Christ and making much of him and seeking him to do what he wants and desires. And everything that he wants and desires is in this book. Everything is in here. But these Jews here, Jesus says, you're a synagogue of Satan. How could he say that? Because they are actually maligning and disrespecting and hurting fellow human imagers. Lying on them. They're not obeying the great commandment, which is love God and love neighbor. Now, when we look at what Jesus said, calling them a synagogue of Satan, we should not try to recycle first century Jewish denunciations about people. This has certainly happened with certain religious groups who uh, would become anti-Semitic. What does that mean? That means they, they hated Jews. Like you have a section of people who would look, oh, Jews, you killed Jesus, so therefore I hate you. We shouldn't look at this and say any group outside of what we think that we could begin to hate them. People who are on the other side of the aisle, so let, let me connect it. Those in the same-sex community, how do we treat them? It's not right for us to then go up to that community and just start maligning and using slanderous words to hurt them. Because we're not called to do that. What we are called to do is love even our enemies. Jesus would say to the disciples, they will know that you are my disciples by this, the love you have for one another. So as believers, we are marked by love. We're not marked by slanderous words. Or even those who may want to promote abortions and hold up the banner of Planned Parenthood. It's not for us to, it's, it's, it's one thing to say I, I, I don't agree with that, but it's another to, to make value judgments on a person and just start and then develop a hate. We should not do that. Again, we are called as believers to love God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength and love our neighbor. As we love ourselves. See, I could love you and disagree with your lifestyle. I can love you and still disagree with what you're doing if it's against the scripture. But most of the, especially for believers, I, I see most of it now, we're just known for what we hate. Like, because you live this way, I hate what you do and I hate you. We're not called to that because we want to see people come to know Jesus because he is the one who died so that everyone can be in a right relationship with the father. And here's the truth. You and I who are in Christ today, at one time we were far away from Jesus. We were far away from him. We were doing stuff that the people we we're pointing at, we were doing some of those same things. And then he rescued us. So what makes us think that Jesus can't save them? Isaiah talks about God says, is my arm too short? Can I snatch them up? Our prayer should be Jesus save them. 
Jesus saved them. Jesus has all authority in heaven and on earth. Matthew 28, 18 says. And so we can take comfort in the fact that Jesus is sovereign over his church. This church in Smyrna suffered economically. But Jesus says, but you're rich. What's most important to have? Physical finances or spiritual wealth? What would you take? I know, all right, y'all, y'all, y'all being too holy for me. I know a lot of us want some of them coins in our pockets. We want it, right? We, we want that. But here's the truth. When, it, when I'm comparing this, Jesus says, what would it profit a man to gain the whole world and yet forfeit his soul? This church was, was physically, economically impoverished. But Jesus says, you are rich. He could say this because he is ruling. Jesus is not dead, but he is alive. Second point, the church's persecution, I want us to see the church's persecution for having faith in Jesus. Verse 10, Jesus says this, don't be afraid of what you're about to suffer. Look, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison to test you, and you will experience affliction for 10 days. Be faithful to the point of death, and I will give you the crown of life. Jesus says, don't be afraid of what you are about to suffer, not what you may suffer, but what you are about to suffer. Suffering was imminent for them. This word for suffer speaks of experiencing harm or emotional pain, to undergo evils, experiencing harm or emotional pain, to undergo evils. I don't know about you, but suffering has a a way of reminding us of what is important in life. Have you ever had a conversation with someone who was dealing with a physical illness, a terminal illness, and they are sitting back talking and they're reflecting on really what's important? And their conversation with you makes, when they're talking, you be like, what am I worried about? They're staring down the barrel of death. Their body is being ravaged, right? We have, I have family members like this. Their body is being ravaged, and I'm complaining about my power going out the other day because of the storm. I'm complaining about when I don't have what I want to eat when I want it. Suffering has a way of reminding us of the things that really matter. It forces us to depend on Jesus and obey God's will. As Christians, we must know that Jesus is in control of even suffering. As much as we may not think about it, he is in control of suffering. So he exhorted the church in Smyrna not to fear because their lives were in the powerful hands of Almighty God. We need to hear that today. Our lives are in Jesus' hands. I know that was an old song I think it used to grow up. He's got the whole world in his hands. And I know we just saying that when we were young, but it's true. Our lives are in his hand, especially if we're in Christ. He alone has all the power. How do we know this? Because he was once dead, but I love it. He got up out of that grave, dusted his shoulders off, and said, death, you can't hold me. That's true. That's true gangsterism. 
uh, you can put that in your, 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 your English lexicon. I just made a word up probably. But that's true. Like he got out of the grave. Death could not hold him. So how do we think that our lives will not be kept even if we suffer? So Jesus tells the church in Smyrna not to fear even though Satan was behind their persecution. God is using this persecution as a time of testing. Satan wants to use this time of testing for temptation purposes. But Jesus is going to use their suffering to fulfill the sovereign plan for history. See, he did it before. What do I mean? Look at it with me, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 8. The text says that none of the rulers of this age knew this wisdom because if they had known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. What's going on here? You had these evil hounds, spiritual hounds of heaven, who were against the Lord Jesus, what we will refer to as demons or the demonic, using the earthly powers against Jesus. The text says that if they had known that it is through the death of Jesus and the cross that they would be defeated, they would have never put him on the cross. They would have never done it. Again, Jesus and the Father are able to use the, the, the plans of the enemy to fulfill his purposes. Jesus even uses our suffering for his sovereign purposes. Now, this testing that was going on in Smyrna and even in our lives is a divine test. Why? To distinguish genuine believers from fake believers in the church. Friends, I got an announcement to make. Every person that joins the church and says they're a believer are not believers. I know we say, but you can't, you, you can't judge nobody. I mean, you're right. Like, if a person comes to me and they are saying all of the right things, because, again, I'm, 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 I'm talking about the South now, and everybody in here is not from the South, but I know we're in the South, and we know Christian language. We know how to say all of the right things to make a person think that we are in the faith. But what happens when testing comes? Testing going to show what you are. Everyone... When we go through it in suffering, what, what's in us is going to come out. The Bible says, for out of the heart flows the, comes the issues of life. What's in us is going to come out of us. Divine tests distinguish genuine believers from those who are fake believers. Jesus uses the devil's tactics to strengthen his people. And in the text, Jesus comforts his people by saying that this testing would be temporary it would only be 10 days. Now, maybe if you're, if, if you're a student, and all of you are students, but maybe I, I wonder if the light bulb went off in your head. Why does Jesus say 10 days? Right? Shoot, two hours is too long for me. But Jesus says 10 days. What this church in Smyrna would have understood is that Jesus is connecting their suffering to something that happened in the Old Testament with Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He connects their story to the suffering of Daniel and his three friends. And look at it with me in Daniel chapter 1, verses 12 to 15. Uh, Daniel says to uh, the person that King Nebuchadnezzar put in charge, please test your servants for 10 days. 
Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then examine our appearance and the appearance of the young, young men who are eating the king's food and deal with your servants based on what you see. He agreed with them about this and tested them for 10 days. At the end of the 10 days, they looked better and healthier than all the young men who were eating the king's food. For 10 days, Daniel and his friends did not eat the king's food, but they ate vegetables. This was testing, and the purpose of this test was to determine whether they would be as healthy as the others who ate the king's food. What were they tested? What were they tempted to do? They were tempted to compromise with pagan religion by being pressured to eat from the king's table. Why was this a compromise? Because if they did eat, they would have been eating food sacrificed to idols. Daniel and his three friends said, I know that we're in bondage right now, but we still worship the true king. We still worship God. Uh, let's put this to a test. We're not going to, we don't want to eat the king's food. We want to eat vegetables. Test us after 10 days and see how we look. Let's see how this turns out. And if you know the story of Daniel, uh, the Bible says that they came out looking better. And as a result, these men were like elevated because God was with them. Jesus compared his readers' situation to what took place with Daniel and his friends because their persecution in Smyrna stemmed from the fact that they refused to give public tokens of allegiance to the ruling emperor at the time. If Daniel and his friends would have eaten, they would have been giving allegiance to King Nebuchadnezzar. The church in Smyrna, if they would have, if they would have done what they did and gave in, then they would have been giving allegiance to the Roman emperor and they would not do it. They would rather be persecuted than worship idols. Now, what was the church's reward for their persecution? The Bible says the crown of life. The crown of life. And this was the victor's wreath. And it symbolizes the glory of Christ and the eternal life uh, of Christians who have persevered. I was recalling this when I was, and I'm not going to date myself, but I remember every uh, when I was in the fourth grade, it seemed like every fourth grader had to take state history. I don't know if that still exists or not. But when I was in the fourth grade, we had to take Alabama, I'm from Alabama, we had to take Alabama history. And, when, and, and one of the uh, events we had there, we had to travel to Montgomery, Alabama, which was the state capital, to go to the office of the then governor, who was George Wallace. We didn't see him or meet him, but he was the sitting governor at the time. But George Wallace is known, he's infamously known for what he did on June the 11th, 1963. What did he do? He stood on the steps of the University of Alabama, refusing to let two black students enter. Enter. He, he would not do it. He said to these students, you will enter over my dead body. He wanted to maintain a system of segregation. But what the federal government did was send down the U.S. Marshals. I, I, want, I don't know if you noticed, but when the U.S. Marshals come a-knocking, you're going to move out the way. Because what they're coming to do is going to happen. So the U.S. Marshals came down to Tuscaloosa, the University of Alabama, and they said this, Governor Wallace, you have two choices. You can remove yourself from in front of these doors, or we can remove you. 
Man, that sounds like grandmama or mama. You got two choices. But out of these choices, the same thing is going to happen. You're going to move. Because they told Governor Wallace, you cannot go back to what has already been put down. You can't go back to segregation. Things, and they said to him, things are going to change today. And they finished with this. Now you decide whether you're going to get out of the way or whether we're going to get you out of the way. But you need to know you will be out of the way. Friends, when God joins you and I in the lion's den, Daniel, and Satan takes his stand against you, when your boss takes a stand against you, when even family members take a stand against you and everyone stands against you, God wants each and every one of us to know that that's not the final decision. The persecution in Smyrna was not the final decision. There is another court in heaven, and when this court in heaven sends down the marshals, this court overrules whatever system is holding you and I down. Whatever system. This church in Smyrna was persecuted. But Jesus says to them, and he lets them know, that many of them would be faithful to the point of death. Some of them would die. But that death is not the final decision. Jesus says, I will give you the crown of life. If you go back and you look at 2 Timothy chapter 4, look at the Apostle Paul. Many scholars believe that 2 Timothy is the last letter that Paul wrote. And Paul was in prison knowing he's about to die. And what, listen to how he writes. Look at how he writes. He, he says to Timothy, I need you to come quick, Doc. He, he would say, because there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness. I'm being poured out. He knew that he was about to die, but that was only going to get him into the presence of Jesus. Whatever ruling happens on this earth, whatever people have against us, it's not for the believer. It's not the final decision. God has the final decision. And finally, I want us to see that the earthly defeat of death it's heavenly victory and life. Verse 11, let anyone who has ears to hear listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers will never be harmed by the second death. As Christians, we must pay attention to what Jesus says in the text. He says, let anyone who has ears to hear. Now, many of you, I don't know how many of you grew up with a Bible that was the red letter Bible. That mean, and, and we grew up saying that wherever you saw red letters, those are the words of Jesus. But let me tell you something. Whether your, 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 your writing is blue, red, or black, every word in here is God speaking. 2 Timothy 3, 16 says, for all scripture is God-breathed. So, therefore, every word in the text, in its original language, that, and we have it in English, so it's been translated, but every word that God spoke is important. That's why we study. That's why we open up God's word and we pull out tools and we try to figure out what does this mean because God has some richness in here for us. We must pay attention to what God says to us. And so for the people in Smyrna, they were being tempted to compromise and give complete loyalty to the emperor above all else. Like the church in Smyrna, we must never give complete loyalty 
to anyone here on earth. I think this is the problem in our political discourse. Whatever side you're on, but they are trying to get us to give complete loyalty to one side or the other, thinking that that person we give complete loyalty to is going to give us everything we need here on this earth, and they can't do it. Jesus says for those who endure or conquer, they will never be harmed by the second death. But what is the second death? And forgive me for talking about death and dying, but the text deals with it, so we must deal with it. Is he, speak, is he talking about physically dying? No, he's not. Now, let's look at what, the, what it says at the end of this book. In Revelation chapter 20, verse 14, uh, the text says, Death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. Mm. So there is a death uh, that's, that's is, is speaking of the lake of fire. This is something else, right? It says death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. And then in, in, in Revelation 21 and verse 8, it says this, but the cowards, faithless, detestable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their share will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. So the second death is differentiated from physical death. The second death is for those who have not trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ, and at judgment, they will experience what the Bible is saying, second death. But for those who are in Christ, they will not be overcome by the second death. Believers will be judged, but our judgment will not be for faith. Our judgment will be one of works. So he will judge our works, whether we did works that pleases him or not. But for those who have not trusted Jesus, their whole beings will be judged because they have not trusted in Jesus, and they would experience this second death. Jesus also gives a warning concerning the second death in Matthew 10 and verse 28. He said, don't fear those who kill the body but are not able to kill the soul. Rather, fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Second death. Again, there is something mysterious about suffering. There is something mysterious about it. Smyrna faced great suffering, but Philadelphia, we're going to look at that church in a few weeks, Philadelphia would be delivered. James was executed. The brother of Jesus was executed, but Peter was released in the book of Acts. Some people are released or delivered, and some people die. For example, Corrie Ten Boom. I don't know if you guys know who that is, but uh, she was a person who was around during World War II and the Nazi situation. She survived the Nazi prison camp while her sisters died there. Something strange and mysterious about suffering. It could be that in this country, followers of Christ could be persecuted for trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ and for sharing their faith. Some may die, some may not. But here's the question for us. Are we prepared to die for the sake of Jesus if, if necessary? Many of us, we don't have to think about that. But are we prepared to die for Jesus if necessary? 
If we are not, why are we following Jesus? Why are we following him? Jesus would often say, take up your cross and follow me. Take up your cross and follow me. The cross is a symbol of death. Are we willing to? We got to be like the disciples. The disciples were cowards before the resurrection and before they received the spirit. They were cowards. But once Jesus was raised from the dead and the spirit indwelt them, they cared nothing about if you persecute me. They would even say, like, man, they whipped us all. We counted all joy. They whipped us for the sake of Jesus. The disciples, they were all in. And I know we use that language today, but are we all in when it comes to Jesus? We got to be like the disciples. We got to be like Daniel and his three friends who remained faithful in the face of rejection and persecution. If we do remain faithful, Jesus promises us reward, a reward far greater than the power or status of our oppressors now enjoy. Are we all in, friends? As a church, let's pray. Father, thank you. Uh, thank you so much for the truth of your word. I thank you for the perseverance of for the perseverance of the church in Smyrna. They were persecuted. Some of them remain faithful even to death, but Jesus, you said that you would give them the crown of life. None of those people today are alive. They are in your presence, those who trusted you. And Lord, you've allowed us to be established as a church, just to be uh, salt and light in the area that you have planted us. Lord, we're not looking for, for persecution. We're not looking to be oppressed. But Lord, I pray that we would remain faithful and that you would say of us that you, you know all that's taking place with us, that even though we may, be, we may be living in poverty or we may not have all of the resources we need, but you can say of us that we are rich. Jesus, help us. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.